0: Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast, I'm your host Taylor, and today we're talking about, what have I got, 20 random facts? 20 random facts from this NBA season, so, and for those of you that don't know, I run the Basketball Index Twitter, which means I have to post a bunch of tweets every single day that are hopefully interesting, <laughs> and hopefully people will retweet, like, comment, and discuss the NBA. It'll highlight what players are. We mostly go positive. I think we try to, uh, you know, be a force for good in the basketball community, and uh, i really cut through a lot of, we'll say, uh, weak arguments with analytics, with av- evidence, things of that nature, so that's that's kind of the idea and it results in me knowing a lot of very very random obscure things that are quickly not relevant anymore. In the off season it's it's really good because I'll know everything from the previous season and that stuff's more or less set in stone, but as the season goes the things I know right now aren't going to be super useful in like two months because all the stats will be different. But I find myself wanting to talk about these, these random little tidbits or just sort of bring up little, uh, little topics. So I thought it would make a good episode for a podcast. So I want to run through 20 random kind of fact tidbits, um, pieces of information that I've, I've gathered in the last few weeks, because we're like a, We're like a quarter of the way through the season, 25%. So I talked about it in one of the episodes a couple days ago or last week or whatever. We can start drawing some conclusions now, right? You don't want to set it in stone, but some conclusions. And these little tidbits are are just sort of interesting. So number one, Jeremy Sohan of of the San Antonio Spurs. They got their first win tonight in forever versus the Lakers. Um, and interesting nugget about him. There's been a lot of talk of him playing point guard, learning that because he came in as a rookie last year, had some kind of interesting passing skills for like a big forward, and that's been a big topic of, you know, whether him or Trey Jones should be playing more so Wemby can benefit from having uh, a really good point guard. Obviously, pick and pop, pick and roll, things of that nature, just being, you know, spoon-fed, baskets, near the rim, because when you're a big guy, that's what happens. So Sohan has been experimented with the point guard role. It hasn't gone very well, but that's all right. But the interesting nugget here, he has the second biggest jump in matchup difficulty among guards this season, while trying to also learn point guard offensively. So basically what the stat means is matchup difficulty takes a look at how difficult the players are that you're trying to guard. So he's had the second biggest jump this year among all guards. So not only huge kind of task he's taking on to learn how to play offense at the point guard position but he's also guarding really really good players and what he was asked to do last year versus this year way more difficult so <laughs> very difficult season for him uh, that's first uh, kind of random note I I don't know I you could you could really you could carve this one up however you wanted to if you were on talk show you could either be like if you want him to focus on offense don't ask so much of him defensively or you're like, hey, we're not very good. We're just throwing players in the fire and we're seeing what comes out because we're in rebuild mode. So I don't know if it's good or bad either way. I just think it's an interesting nugget. And that's that's all this. Every every single stat on here, the other 19 more I'm going to get to, they're all just interesting nuggets. I think you could cut them either way depending on uh, what you're trying to or- argue for or against. Number two, Alex Caruso is 10th in the league in true shooting percentage and he is averaging almost 10 points a game so a lot of context built into this one that I need to explain Alex Caruso is a defensive specialist who is basically the the best one maybe the best one I've ever seen he's the best perimeter defender of this generation of this decade and offensively he's always been a minus but I've talked about it so many times he's I mean, he's probably my favorite player. That's why I talk about him so much on this podcast. He's also a very impactful and a very good player and was underrated for a very long time. I don't really think he's underrated anymore because he's just played. I mean, he won a championship on the Lakers and he's played so well on the Bulls, where he's at certain points kind of been their only like highlight, but, 10th and true shooting percentage is really huge for him. Because again, it's not a ton of points, right? I say like he's almost averaging 10 points a game. He's never really been a scorer. I mean, there's been seasons where he's averaged like five, four, five, six points a game. But that he is the best perimeter defender defensively. And that he's also chipping in 10 points of super efficient basketball. Because again, there's only nine guys that have been more efficient than him this year scoring, which is pretty crazy. This together... With the clutch performances at the end of games, it seems like almost every other night there's something he's doing, both offensively and defensively, that's either sealing games for the Bulls, forcing overtime, or just a really big possession maybe in the final two minutes. Alex Caruso has played well enough to be an all-star this year, which is crazy because I was just saying that he was underrated because he's on the Lakers, you know, a funny-looking guy, balding, young, I, I get it, right? And... He wins the championship. He goes to the Bulls. He plays really well. And I think everyone kind of gets on the level of like, oh, no, this guy's legit. He's really good. Like a lot of trade rumors where a lot of fans are like, I'd like him to come to my team. He's a good player. But now I'm like, maybe we need to push that further. Like he, I'm not saying like perennial all star, but just this season, he is playing out of his mind. And I actually think he does deserve an all star spot. So that is number two on the random facts this season. On to number three, Derek Lively, the second. Has been a really good rookie player for the Mavs. Really good rim finisher energy guy. And he has the second best rim shot quality this year of anyone in the league. And that means he has the second easiest shot at the rim because he's playing with Luka. So this started as a Derek Lively stat, which is he's a good rim finisher. And he's getting really, really great looks from Luka. But I dug into it a little further. This is the third year in a row Luka has had a big man inside the top two in rim shot quality. I'm going to repeat that because there's a lot of numbers. I didn't know how to write it any simpler for listening. Third year in a row, Luca has had a big man inside the top two in rim shot quality of all of the league. That means if you're a big that's playing with Luca, you're going to benefit from unbelievable looks around the basket. So this Derek Lively stat really turned into a Luca stat of if you're a big guy in the league, I don't think there's a player you'd rather play with right now than Luka because he's just going to spoon feed you easy buckets at the rim. Number four, Paolo Banquero, rookie of the year last year, has had the second biggest jump in shooting talent this year among any player in the league. So shooting talent is a metric we have. It looks at your shot quality, right? How difficult or easy your shots are. It looks at your shot making, which is how well you perform on that shot quality, right? And then it looks at your shot creation, which is how often you can self-generate looks. So it's basically... The the easiest way to think about it is... It's like a smart shooting step because there's, there's players that like... Not to pick on Derek Lively the second, but his field goal percentage is very high because he's taking a lot of easy shots at the rim because Luca will break down the defense, get double teamed, pass it to Derek, Derek will score, right? He's doing his job. He's doing his job well. But when you take into account for Paolo that the defense is going to be more focused on him. His shot quality is going to be tougher. So the ability to shot make in those situations is more valuable. And then the more you can self-generate those looks where you're making shots on tough opportunities, that's a recipe really for a good player. So Paolo, second biggest jump in shooting talent this year. That's really big because he looks to be a future multi-time all-star because he just he's huge <laughs> his physicality has looked really great this year just overpowering players and then he's definitely got some touch he's got some talent and might be a three-level score he's a really interesting guy that uh kind of the sky's the limit for him obviously was the rookie of the year was a top pick it it all kind of is expected, but really good to see that big jump in year two. Again, second base jump in overall shooting talent. Number five, Duncan Robinson reborn. So Duncan was a three-point specialist that had a really good season, maybe like three years ago, followed that up with another good shooting season, got a big five-year contract from the Heat, which was a little surprising at the time. And then over the course of the years, kind of fell out of the rotation. And then last year, and a really good playoff run, really efficient. And then this year, because the heat lost some players in free agency, he's been playing a lot and has been fantastic. He's had the third biggest jump in half-court shooting talent. Again, this is just shooting talent. Like I described before, it's looking at your shot quality, how you're shooting relative to that, your shot making, and then your self, self-created um, shot creation. In the half court, which is, you know, that's really where you make your money. Transition stuff's great, but the half court, that's, you know, that's that's where the big bucks are. He has the third biggest jump in that in the half court shooting talent this season. So Duncan Robinson, fully reborn. I never lost faith, and it's good to see him playing well again. Uh, number six, Kelly Olenek is... <laughs> this, is a, this is a random one. I didn't write this one out well in the notes. <laughs> so Kelly Olenek is uh, fourth among centers this year. In high value assists, so per seventy five. Sorry, I should throw that in there. So his his high value assist rate is fourth among centers. So Kellyo, like he's a big. He's not known for his defense, but he can space the floor, and he's always been a pretty good passer. High value assists for anyone that doesn't know, those are assists that result in a three point shot, a rim attempt, a layup or a dunk, or free throws. So really high value shots on the court. What you're looking for. And Kelly O is obtainable this year at the trade deadline. He's on the Utah Jazz. They're rebuilding right now. And he is a really good glue player. I've talked about him before. Again, he's a big that can space the floor. He can shoot the three. And he's a good passer. And my metric to back this up is he is fourth in high value assists among centers this year per 75. So that's a guy that I think if you're uh, a contending team, You're looking for him maybe at the trade deadline as a good depth piece to add. Number seven, Porzingis playing well. Obviously, he's on a much better team this year with the Celtics, and he has had the second biggest jump in off-ball shot quality among bigs from last year to this year. So basically, I wanted to contextualize. Obviously, Porzingis playing really well has been a player that's always been talented, I have been a little hesitant to see how he fits in on better teams because it always seemed like you needed to play through him a little bit. And then there's the contract. There's there's multiple factors. But he goes to the Celtics. He's playing really well. You know that they're a really deep team, but I did not want to quantify that he's had, again, the second biggest jump. An off-ball shot quality among bigs from last year, to this year, and anything that counts as like a guy, so off-ball shot quality is what you'd be asking. So anything that results in an off-ball shot, which would be an assisted type shot, right? So like a catch and shoot three. If you uh, catch a laydown in the in the key, you know Tatum drives, drops it off to him, he finishes for a dunk. Anything that would be an assisted bucket would count as an off-ball shot, and that's what we categorized off-ball shot quality. So again, second biggest jump among uh bigs in that category so again Porzingis playing well but I wanted to quantify that stat because this is something that we're all we're putting that calculation in our head of obviously he's on a much better team he's in a much better ecosystem and that's why he's flourishing but numbers like this can help quantify that number eight Tyce Jones best floater in the game Bar none, it's kind of a random thing to be good at, but it's a fun stat. I come across it all the time when I'm digging through our floater data when I'm coming up with tweets. He takes them at the same rate as Jalen Brunson and Trey Young, and those guys are more famously known for their floaters just because... Just They're more famous players because they're better players. But Tyus Jones, pretty good point guard in his own right. Pretty good offensive player with just a knockdown lethal floater. This is your water cooler talk stat of the podcast. Well, this is really, this is a <laughs> a podcast of just water cooler nuggets, right? Where you're in the office or you're in your, I guess, business slack or whatever it is. You're on the golf course or, you know what? You're at the nail salon. You could be at the book club. You could be a lot of different things where you drop this nugget. But uh, Tyus Jones, best floater in the league. It's it's a fun one to kind of drop on people. Number nine, Al Horford (laughs) leads the league in contesting three-pointers per 75. I don't really, I don't know if there's any conclusions to be drawn from that. Al Horford contesting the most threes uh, per 75, but that is one thing. When you work at Basketball Index, if you work at a sports data company, you just come across these weird things that stick in your head where you're like, huh, is there anything to that? I don't know. And then you just move on. Number 10, Dylan Brooks. His, he was, so when I pulled this, Dylan Brooks was leading the league in foul trouble percentage. But now, unfortunately, somebody got over the minutes threshold, and now he's second. So Dylan Brooks, second in the league in foul trouble percentage. He's a really great defender, and I think part of his thing is like, hey, I'm going to be really physical with you, and I'm going to get the whistle blown a lot. The, The Houston defense as a whole seems to be fouling a lot. There was an interesting thing I heard one time where it was when the Legion of Boom Seattle Seahawks were at their best, and Pete Carroll was coaching them. They had, you know, all those fantastic players in their secondary. The idea was you're going to be as physical as possible the entire game. Because if you do that, they're they're not actually going to call a hold on every play, right? And if you, you know, it's it's it, you see it with Steph Curry too in the playoffs, where you rough him up when he's trying to run around off screens, where like there are going to be some fouls called. But you're definitely going to get away with some grabbing, some pushing, some shoving. Because if you just dial up the physicality every single play, it just changes the kind of overall feel of the game. And the referees will kind of move the window of what is and isn't allowed. It's an interesting thing in sports. So Dylan Brooks, second, (laughs) spending the most time uh, in the league in foul trouble percentage. Number 11 on our random facts here. Tyrese Halliburton, second biggest jump. This is a, a mouthful. This is Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, they're all mouthfuls. Tyrese Halliburton's second biggest jump in stable isolation points per possession. Uh, and then the, the caveat, it, it, I don't even need to add this, but it's among on-ball players because that was what the tweet was. I went back and researched it and made sure it was right. But basically, guys that are isolating a lot, Halliburton has had the second biggest jump in efficiency the way stable points per possession works is basically the way stable things work is you just introduce a sample of league average attempts and efficiency it just sorts out small sample size because like if a guy takes two isolation attempts and hits both of them, he's probably not going to shoot 100%, right, for the entire season. So you introduce some league average attempts that drags it back down kind of towards the middle. So the idea is the longer you do it over the course of a season, the more you can pull yourself away from that kind of like magnetic effect of the stabilization. And then points per possession is just includes turnovers because in things like even true shooting or field goal percentage whatever you use it doesn't incorporate when you just dribble the ball off your foot and it rolls out of bounds but the game does account for that because your team doesn't have a ball anymore so Tyrese Halliburton when he's isolating he is doing it uh fantastically this year second biggest jump which is that's the important mark because you see Halliburton playing this year and you like it's like this guy he was very good last year but he's even taken it to another level and one of the areas he has done that is in his isolation scoring. So, again, so this one, you're probably not going to say at the water cooler because it's like, well, I'm sorry, what? Second biggest jump in stable isolation points per possession among on ball players. I'm living my dream job, guys. I don't know if you know this. This, I'm what I'm doing right now because normally that like, I tweeted that, right? I ripped that from a tweet. That's my dream job to to orchestrate things of that nature and then try to st- try to talk to people about them in the real world and people are like always looking at me like I'm crazy, uh, just a little. Number twelve, Jokic is much better at rebounding two pointers than the rest of the league. He's about the same in rebounding threes, are just kind of middle of the road, but rebounding missed two pointers. He is multitudes better than anyone else. I don't know why. My guess is if you watch a lot of Jokic, he's a very position-oriented defender because of his limitations, where he's not good at contesting shots, he's not good at jumping, and he therefore does not offer a ton of rim protection. So when you see him, a lot of the times, he'll just retreat to the basket And he'll give the player a lot of space, kind of, once they're inside the free throw line, he'll just retreat to the basket, and he'll be like, all right, make or miss, if you're going to take like a five-footer, six-footer kind of push shot, leaner floater, that's kind of the hardest shot in the league to make consistently, and he's just going to live with it, whether you make it or not, and he's going to be in really good position to either, if you really want to attack the basket, he's going to be waiting for you, so he's going to have a better chance of contesting the shot, or he's going to let you take your little six-footer, and he's going to be in optimal position to defensively rebound. I wonder if that's a European thing, because whether it's Nurk or Vooch or Jokic, a lot of the European bigs are not the greatest rim protectors generally, but they're really, really strong defensive rebounders. And I wonder if some of that is just the way basketball has been taught to them, that they emphasize defensive rebounding and positioning for that higher than we do in America. Because like a lot of European bigs are good at rebounding. I'm not sure. Same with uh, Sabonis as well, where he had not much of a rim protector, but a really strong rebounder. Number 13, Robert Covington is first in steals per 75 this year, and he couldn't get minutes with the Clippers last year. I'm just still kind of mad about that, where, yes, SGA has the most steals per game, right? Because if you look at per game stats, how much you play matters a lot. Robert Covington is just a role player, but that he wasn't in the rotation for the Clippers last year, and he's like one of the best defenders in the league. It's just i'm i'm sour about it still i'm just frankly kind of pissed about it cuz like we lost a year of robert coming and doing crazy stuff where it's like he'd have like a four deflection three steal two block game and it's like whoa that's <laughs> crazy defensive impact number 14 cade cunningham is third in true usage percentage which is just uh It's a stat that looks at it tries to estimate how much of like the offensive load you're carrying one of the things that makes this stat unique is it uses tracking data so it looks at potential assists because if you're on a bad team or just a team without good shooting or just unlucky stretches there will be times where a lot of assists don't go in and then it's not counted anywhere in the box score so potential assists are just any time a pass leads to a shot and Cade Cunningham is third in true usage percentage. So the Pistons are really bad, and Cade has a crazy amount of, I guess, work he's doing for their offense where I know they're not good, and this kind of goes back to talking about the Jeremy Showhand thing at the top of the episode where you could cut this both ways where it's like, are you overtasking Cade Cunningham by having this high of a true usage percentage where it's like spread it around a little bit? You also have Ivy on the roster who last year showed some pretty good playmaking or are you throwing him in the fire of, hey, Cade's got to learn how to lead and figure out how to score in this league because if he can't figure out now when the team's bad, he's definitely not going to figure it out when the team's good in a couple of years. So again, you can cut it both ways, but the Cade has this much offensive responsibility. I, I just wonder why because again third in the league uh, let's move on to uh, random fact number 15 team situations can be weird and whoa, some of the things that come out of that is you're going to have players on your team that have really good shot quality right where most of the things they're getting are assisted buckets kickouts for wide open threes things of that nature and then There's going to be like one or two guys on every team that have pretty bad shot quality because they're taking the tough shots at the end of the game when things slow down. They have to get a bucket in isolation or it's a pick and roll where they can either score or pass or whatever it is, but they're going to be doing more difficult things. And normally Durant, DeRozan, Brandon Ingram, these guys classically have really, really tough shot quality because... Partially, it's the nature of how they play. If you take a lot of mid-range twos, like your shot quality is just going to be worse. That's why the league has moved away from that for role players, where, again, stars do it, but role players take a lot less uh, mid-range twos because the math says not to. But Jeremy Grant is the best player on the Blazers probably right now, so he gets stuck doing a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of tough shots, and he has one of the toughest overall shot qualities in the league where I love Jeremy Grant I actually talk about Jeremy Grant a fair amount I think he'd be a really good you know two-way wing third best player on a championship team but when you're on a really bad Blazers team that's not even trying to win and you're kind of stuck there you signed a big contract you're gonna be put in the star role and it's funny because his shot quality is next to DeRozan Durant and Brandon Ingram and it's like "Ah, one of those things is doesn't fit with the others number 16. Chet has the second best rookie rim points saved in our 11-year database only behind Walker Kessler. These are the notes I leave myself. They're so hard to read through live on the show. But basically, if you look at all the rookies in our 11-year database, this is a really good way to try to evaluate young players because you can compare guys to the rest of the league. And Chet is a guy you definitely can do that with because he's been so good. But a lot of the times you just want to be like, well, how does this stack up against... All first-year players or all second-year players or whatever it may be because you can kind of get a a better – you're comparing apples to apples really is why you do it. But rim points saved basically look at how disruptive you are at contesting shots at the rim. It's not just blocks. It's anytime you contest a shot, does it go in, does it not? and it looks at how often you can contest shots. So if you contest a lot of shots and a lot of those shots aren't going in, you're going to be really good in rim point saved because you're saving points at the rim. That's why they named the stat that. And Chet has right now, I know there's a lot of season left to play, the second best rim point save again these are all per 75 possessions of any rookie in the 11 year database only behind Walker Kessler who had a fantastic rim protection rookie season last year. So Big things out of Chet offensively, but defensively as well, looks to be a really, really good player. And that's one when I tweeted it out, got a ton of interaction because people are really excited about that stat with Chet. Number 17, Wemby is taking five threes a game. Five threes a game. That's a lot for a guy that's like 7 8 to be taking. <laughs> that's a lot of three pointers. He's only shooting 27% on them, which. That's really rough. But again, you got to remember, he's 19. It's not like, hey, pack it up. Don't take any more threes. I think, yeah, you, know, you see where it is at the end of the year because this is his rookie season and he is a teenager. But that's just a, a lot of threes for a player to be taking. That's a big man. But, you know, you saw last night or what was it? Two nights ago? Hits a step back three over Anthony Davis under two minutes left in a really big situation and you're like all right maybe maybe, maybe you maybe start taking six of these a game uh for a, a uh comparison d'angelo russell also takes about five threes a game so victor Wembanyama and d'angelo russell are taking the same amount of threes a game which is just sort of an interesting interesting little nugget number 18 more three pointer talk nas reed is taking more threes per 75 than carl anthony towns so nas reed teammates with cat cat known as the shooting big man as of right now nas reed is actually taking more threes per 75 than cat which is a very surprising And, and nas reed they've actually both been really good from three but that's that is interesting on top of that in the combination with rudy gobert you're able to play i mean they're playing almost like classic 90s lineups where you have Gobert at your center, you have Cat at your four, and you have Nasrid at the three at times, which is interesting. And I think you can get away with it in the modern NBA because if two of those guys are shooting threes, where like you really only have one non-spacer in the lineup, and there's a lot of NBA lineups, we like to talk like there's not, but there are a lot of NBA lineups where you have two non, like really non-shooting threats, so that the Timberwolves can play this big and have this much shooting, definitely unique. Number 19, Isaiah Joe is shooting 43% from three for the Thunder on almost six attempts a game as a role player. He's the new three-point guy. You know, you throw him in that category with maybe looks like Joe Harris, Michael Porter Jr., Buddy Healed. This is sniper territory, three-point specialist whatever you want to call it. And like, sure, like Michael Porter Jr. maybe on this list does a little bit more than that. Maybe Cam Johnson you could put on this list. But Isaiah Joe, just absolute sniper. Really, really good. This is his second year being deadly from three. I like to see a little bit bigger of a sample than maybe other people. He was an intriguing guy last year, but now that he's done it again, I guess we're at a season, we'll call it like a season and a third, season and a quarter. That that's really exciting and is really big for the Thunder because they don't have a ton of spacing because they play Lou Dort and they also play Josh Giddy, who like historically both of those guys over their careers, not three-point shooters. So Isaiah Joe is an important part of what they got going on in Oklahoma. And number 20, the last random fact of the episode. If you want to find random facts. Head on over to basketballindex.com. Get yourself a subscription, only $5 a month. These random facts you heard can easily be found in the tools. We got a leaderboard tool. We got a headshot tool. We got a skills app. We have a lot of different ways you can play with the data, a lot of different ways you can slice and dice it, and it's just really enjoyable. You can have your own podcast of 20 random facts of the NBA season. I think my favorite few facts, just jumping back, that are like actually useful alex caruso top 10 and true shooting percentage because again it's only like nine points a game nine almost ten but that you're getting that all world defense and then you're also getting that additional offense that is some crazy value Pilo banquero second biggest jump in shooting talent this year that's really important to see because a lot of the times we assume that young players are going to get better, but like the the realness of the situation is most of them don't because most guys don't stay in the league. So obviously, Paolo, it's it's a different situation because the expectations are a lot higher. But just again, really good to see that jump. Duncan Robinson being reborn, big. I'm very big on that. Tyus Jones having the best floater in the league is just a really fun one. I think it's a fun stat to bring up. And then I think Cade Cunningham, third highest true usage percentage in the league, where that one's just like, I would say maybe a little questionable. That's a coaching decision that I know Monty Williams is over there, previously the Suns coach. I would say I'm questioning that decision. I'm not saying you have to, but I'm going to question that a little bit because you do have Jaden Ivey. It seems like you should have more of a two headed attack as your primary playmakers, but. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see who's wrong or right in a couple of years, but that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the basketball index podcast. If You want to talk to me at Taylor metrics on Twitter and we'll see you on the next one.